like no one you've heard before. Because he's no one, and you've never heard him. He has a face for radio, a voice for the deaf, and enough free time for a podcast. If you're listening to this, clearly you don't have enough going on right now. So settle in. Buckle up. You're listening to Bayou Ball Movements. Here's your host, Bill Jakespeare. Hello, 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 and welcome to another installment of Bayou Ball Movements, the podcast you've never heard of. So what the hell am I doing? Well, because I enjoy it, and if nothing else, it's solid practice. Just thought of something. Earlier in the day, I saw a tweet uh, from a friend, and I guess you could say former colleague. Uh, We were interning at the same time. I don't know if you could quite call us colleagues, but a friend nonetheless. You can find him on Twitter, at KeithQuigley80. Him and his brother doing a, a podcast, not unlike mine, although his is probably better. I saw he called it the best worst podcast, and I thought that sounded pretty catchy. And it made me want to uh, give mine a, a cool nickname like that. So mine is the the worst, worst podcast you'll ever come across. And that's never been more true as I am battling a uh, <clears throat> cough and sore throat. So I hope I don't sound completely awful tonight. I'm going to power through it because, hey, man, I leave it all out in the field. Uh, I did take a a couple of Excedrin PM a couple of hours ago. Uh, I believe it has started to take effect. So I will fight and resist the urge to doze off. Uh, All of you, feel free to go ahead and shut those peepers and and rest. Uh, Why should it be any different from any other uh, podcast of mine that you've listened to? So just... Go right ahead and get your nap on. I, on the other hand, will remain awake. Uh, I've heard that if you resist the urge to sleep after uh, taking sleeping pills like that, you start to hallucinate. Uh, We'll see if that happens. That sounds pretty exciting. I should have done that uh, during the Texans game on Sunday. Uh, Perhaps I would have hallucinated a watchable football team. The Houston Texans got rocked. 26-16 by a two-win San Francisco 49er team now with three wins. And with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback, they are not a true uh, 2-10 team. They weren't anyways. I said as much last week that obviously it goes without saying quarterback is the most important position on the field. When looking at that position and that position alone – The Texans were underdogs and played as such uh, with the 10-point loss. The Texans fall to 4-9 and and are officially eliminated from playoff contention. It was uh, only a matter of time. The season 
was lost uh, along with Deshaun Watson's ACL, but now it is official. So let the mock drafts begin. Uh, this is the time of year when you welcome Mel Kuyper and his insane, awful uh, 70s uh, newsman hairstyle into your home. Oh, God, just what a what an unfortunate-looking human being Mel Kuyper is. But, hey, he, he's welcome on uh, my TV sets, uh, more so than this Texans team. The Texans, apart from DeAndre Hopkins and Jadavian Clowney, are complete and total burning, smoldering garbage. They are not worth mentioning in a serious manner, not uh, until the... 2018 season opener at least but you know what we'll probably get into some draft talk uh, here in the coming months but as I said DeAndre Hopkins is no joke man hop with another incredible game 11 receptions 149 yards and two touchdown receptions both from TJ Yates we are going to dive in just how TJ Yates got into the game. This Texans offense, and like I said, excluding DeAndre Hopkins, is among the most uninteresting in the history of football and the entire history of all of sport. Although there was a controversial series of decisions surrounding the play and, more importantly, the health of Tom Savage. Savage took a hard hint from 49ers defensive end Elvis Doomerville in the Texans' end zone probably halfway through the second quarter, give or take. And while he was lying on the ground, his hands, his arms, Savage on his back, face up to the sky, his arms in a, in a locked position facing his head. And Savage appeared to be shaking involuntarily almost in a, in a seizure-like convulsion, perhaps trying to unhinge his arms, unlock his arms, but he couldn't. He had lost control of his body for a few seconds. Very, very scary. Did not look like there was any way, any chance in hell, that Tom Savage would be allowed back on that football field. But he was. And he did come back onto the field after a near seizure, or what appeared to be a seizure, uh, just a horrifying spectacle, was allowed back onto the field for one series after being evaluated for a concussion. And there were six-plus minutes left in the half when Savage retook the field. Plenty of time for a concussion to turn into a potential fatal injury. Fortunately for Savage, it was a quick three and out, highlighted by a spiked incompletion, uh, a play where Savage sort of just looked lost and frightened and could not wait for the play to be over. Also, we saw Savage during that drive covering his mouth, attempting to shield blood, trying to prevent the escape of blood from his mouth. Just fucked up, man. Just in the most fucked up of ways. This game is fucked up, man. I mean, I am a fan through and through. 
But there have been times this season where you're just like, oh my God. Like, what the hell am I watching? What is this? Uh, it is far from perfect. And I don't know if there is any way to uh, to fix it. You're never going to get away from injuries. But that's another story. Savage lucky to walk away from that game. After being putting back out there, another blow to the head. This may be a vastly more sad and depressing story. O'Brien said after a first quick check, after they put him under that joke of a blue tint uh, and was sent back in, O'Brien told uh, team trainer Jeff Kaplan he thought Savage needed to be evaluated again. All right. O'Brien was criticized after his post-game news conference for deflecting blame for the fact that Savage was allowed to remain in the game. And here is what it sounded like in his post-game press conference. Talk to us about what happened to Savage and how he's doing. Yeah, we uh, he got hit on that one play in the end zone, I think, or you know, backed up in our end. And, um, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the spotter wanted him evaluated. We evaluated him. Um, uh, at that time, made the determination to put him that he was okay. Not me, you know. Obviously, the evaluators made the determination to put him back in the game, and um, you know, then he went back in the game, and they he came out and they evaluated him a little bit more just because of what they saw, and and that's where it's at. So, you know, that's kind of where it's at. That's all really I know about it, John. Bill, it looked like he tried to come back in the game that second time and get back on the field. What what was that situation like from your perspective? It looked like he actually, you know. Took a yeah. few steps where he was very adamant about staying in the game. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't want to come out of the game. But, again, that's, you know, that's in the medical people's hands. And, uh, you know, they, they try to make the best decision for the player. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to whatever they see. And then the testing that they do, they, they try to make the best decision with the player. And they weren't satisfied with the results of the second test. So they, they decided to, um, you know, pull him. And then that's when he went into the locker room. Since he did end up having a concussion, is it worrisome to you that he did go back in for that one series? Again, I, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't direct that, uh, Christy. I don't, I don't direct that at all. They just come to me, and that's so that's kind of where that's at. I don't have anything to do with that, so I don't really. All I do is coach. Okay, so before I jump into what I thought of O'Brien's comments, it's not Bill O'Brien's job to determine whether or not a player is healthy. Or injured. That is not in his job description. A head coach has many, many jobs and many responsibilities, but to diagnose a head injury like that, that is not one of them. Now, to the average Joe Blow sitting at home, yes, it did look like Tom Savage was shaken up. It did appear that it was a concussion. But we are not experts, just like Bill O'Brien is not an expert. And if I had been sitting on the couch next to a doctor, and the doctor says, oh no, that's not a concussion, he's fine, then I would yield to the expertise of that doctor, just as Bill O'Brien did. So O'Brien's job is to evaluate the talent as it is assembled and put the best team, the best players on the field. 
It is the medical staff and the NFL evaluator, whoever the hell that is, and it sounds like that person botched the shit out of this concussion. But it is their job to determine what players are hurt and what players are ready to go. So from that standpoint, Bill O'Brien is not at fault here, okay? But what I don't like from hearing that sound is is O'Brien just being so quick to push the blame off somebody else. They made the decision. The decision was made to put him back in the game. Not me, not B, but them. They said it was okay. I didn't say it was okay. It was them, all right? They're the ones who put him back in the game. Okay, yeah, Bill, they said he could play, but it was you who made the decision to play him. So don't don't try and say that they said, no, he's playing against your will. You had the most say in who and who doesn't step on that field. You are the final word, not the medical evaluators. Okay? You decide who plays and who doesn't. You don't decide who's healthy But you do decide who plays, who steps foot on that field. And it's just, and it's weird, and you've never heard the side of O'Brien because after every terrible loss, and there's been a lot of them in his four years as head coach, after every loss, what do we hear O'Brien say? We hear O'Brien say, I got to coach better, Uh, you know, it's on me. I got to do better. This is my fault. I have to work harder. Okay? O'Brien is always taking the blame. He is never, ever throwing anyone under the bus. Always doing whatever he can to take the bullet for his team. And here, and I know he doesn't have a relationship with the medical staff like he has with the players. That goes without saying. But he has a chance to not take a bullet for them but not throw them under the bus. And the first chance he has, he throws them under the bus. It wasn't me, it was them. I don't make that decision, they do. So I thought that was just a very uncharacteristic thing to hear from Bill O'Brien. And OB definitely received some flack from those comments. And on Monday, he decided to defend those comments start off with uh, a couple things I just want to make clear um, relative to try to tie all this in together relative to the process uh, on the sideline um, with the medical people relative to concussion protocol relative to coaching relative to my care for our players here uh, and also relative to I'm not passing the buck so let's make sure we all kind of like get on the same page here uh, basically, there was a third down play where we were backed up. Okay, our offense was backed up. I'm on the 50-yard line calling the play. On the play, San Francisco bl- brought blitz zero. They, they blitzed six guys. Uh, Tom got rid of it to the right. It was incomplete. Uh, I had no idea of I, – I, I figured that he got hit, really didn't know that he got hit. There's 12 bodies around him. Um, you know, very, very difficult from the 50-yard line where I'm standing – to see if he even got hit. With benefit of the video, which I do not have benefit of any video, there's no video on the sideline 
All there are are tablets. There's no video. There's nothing like that. With benefit of seeing the video, obviously, from my, my, my standpoint, the care for the player, I would have never let that player back in the game, and I don't believe that Jeff Kaplan would have allowed that player back in the game. I don't have benefit of the video. I did not see anything. So basically the process now goes where the medical people on the sideline, they come to me and they say, we're going to check Tom for a concussion. They take him into the tent. They check him maybe two, three minutes, not very long period of time. I'm not sure what goes into that. You can ask the medical people, the NFL. I'm a coach. I don't really know what goes into that. They come back to me. They say that Tom can play. He's good to go. He can play in the game. So I make the determination, talk to Tom. Hey, here's the plays we're going to go with in the next series. And we put Tom back out there. After that next series, it was a three and out. They came back over to me. They said, we're going to check him again. I said, thanks. Okay, great. I also said to Cap at that point, our trainer, I said, look, I think we need to check him again. This was all going on at the same time. It wasn't anything that I particularly saw on the field. I just said, look, that was a quick check. Let, it was a three and out on that series. Let's continue to check him to make sure that the player, Tom Savage, is okay. They went. They checked him. They came to me. They were not satisfied with his answers to the questions that they were asking him, and they pulled him from the game. Then I put T.J. Yates in the game. At no point in time in my coaching career, 25 years of coaching, I've been at Brown University, I've been at Georgia Tech, I've been at Duke, I've been at University of Maryland, I've been the head coach at Penn State and the head coach here. At no point in time is there anything more important to me than the safety of our players. I love our players, and I care about them, and I cannot stand when players get injured. Again, with benefit of seeing the video that people are seeing, I would have never put him back in the game, but I don't see that. I'm not passing the buck. I don't have any anybody that's been on a sideline of a football game knows that from a coaching standpoint, you really can't see things like that, especially when the ball is in certain areas of the field. So with that being said, what do you guys have to ask me about yesterday's game? Okay, so Bill O'Brien does a nice job of painting a very vivid picture of what happened in the order that it happened, and O'Brien's role in all of the events that led to this shitstorm. And I agree with most of it. I agree, like I just said, it's not O'Brien's decision to make to decide who's healthy and who isn't, who has suffered a a concussion and who hasn't. I agree that O'Brien, from the sideline, doesn't have a good view from the 50 yard line looking into the end zone. That's not easy. Okay. You don't have the benefit of a press box or the view you have at home with all these different camera angles. He, he doesn't have access to that. And evidently he didn't have access to the video. And even if he did, why would he be looking at that? He's got to be thinking ahead to the next series. I, I am fine with all of that. A couple of things though. Bill O'Brien wants you to know that he's not passing the buck. Okay, yes, you are. Maybe the buck shouldn't have been given to you in the first place, but by saying you're not in charge of those decisions, someone else is making those decisions, I had nothing to do with it. That is the definition of passing the buck, Bill O'Brien. And I know I'm just picking out your words here, but... I'm doing a podcast. That's all I have. I work 
and live and operate in words. So yes, I'm going to be very picky about the words he chooses to use. Otherwise, what the hell am I doing? I'm just some sad sack of shit talking to himself. You're passing the buck, all right? And you are passing the buck to the Texans' medical staff. That's who you're passing it to. So yes, the buck has been passed. And again, uh, an- another, another interesting tidbit from that sound After hearing O'Brien saying, that isn't my job, I'm just a coach, that isn't my job, you hear Bill O'Brien say, you know, I did mention they should take another closer look at him. I said they should take a second look. You know, Tom's not looking right. I think you guys should take another look at him. But wait, Bill, didn't you just say you're just a coach? Isn't your job just X's and O's and calling the plays? Why do you have any say... And what players should be evaluated again? Why are you stepping on their toes if all you do is coach? If all you do is is worry about third and long situations and two-minute drills, then why in the, the heat of a game are you finding time to walk over to a doctor and say, hey, why don't you take a look at him again? It's completely contradicting everything you just say about all I do is coach, all right? If you're doing that, if you're telling a trainer to take a look at a player a second time, then no, that is not all you're doing. All you're doing is not just coaching. You are taking a role in these players' health. So, Bill, if you're going to do that, if you're going to take the time and the interest to let the medical staff know, hey, this guy doesn't seem right. I know I'm just a coach, but maybe you should take another look at him. Then maybe, Bill, maybe you should take an interest in the concussion protocol. And maybe you should take an interest in how they are evaluating these players for concussions. Instead of just saying, I'm just a coach. I have nothing to do with that. I don't know what's going on. Don't ask me. I'm just coaching. Because clearly, Bill... You do have some sway. Your words carry weight on the sideline and people will listen to you. And maybe, Bill, maybe if you had a better understanding of how concussions were evaluated, maybe you wouldn't have put Tom Savage back on the field after him being cleared. Maybe with a better understanding of the concussion protocol, you would have known what to look for. Because evidently you did see something. You saw something. That warranted you going to the medical staff and saying, hey, how's about another quick check? So, Bill, while I love you and I want to defend you, because, yes, it is not in your job description, but, dude, clearly you have power. And clearly you have eyes and you can see when someone is not right. You have eyes that work and can see that someone is having what appears to be a seizure on the field and is coughing up blood and maybe shouldn't be playing. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. Tom Savage could have been killed on Sunday. And this protocol is far from sound. It is broken. Add it to the list. Phew. That was a little more worked up than I need to be getting. (laughs) About a about a four and nine team whose only optimism can be found in the third round of the 2018 draft. 
So we will move on, and for the first time since the World Series, and that looks bad on my part, we will be moving on to another sport, to a, to a team other than the Houston Texans. And we will turn our focus to the Houston Rockets, who won their 11th straight game on Wednesday night. Chris Paul scored a season-high 31 points. James Harden added 21 as the Houston Rockets extended their NBA best winning streak to 11 games with a 108-96 victory over the Charlotte Hornets. Chris Paul also tallied 11 assists and 7 rebounds in the winning effort. The Rockets are undefeated when Chris Paul takes the floor this season. He doesn't always have games like this. Hardly do I remember him coming close to 30 points, but Chris Paul is making these players around him much better. He is taking the Trevor Arizas and the Ryan Andersons, and he's turning them into top-tier guys. It is showing. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It is the longest winning streak for the Rockets since winning 22 straight in 2008. The Rockets have now won 17 of their last 18 games. They improved to 22-4. and It is the best record in the association in terms of percentage. All right, uh, there are a couple of teams who have more wins, and the Celtics and Warriors played more games, have more wins, but uh, Rockets have the best winning percentage. After having to overcome a 14-point fourth-quarter deficit against the Trail Blazers last Saturday and allowing the New Orleans Pelicans to stick around before putting them away late on Monday night, the Rockets made damn sure this one was decided early. Houston led by just one late in the first before scoring 25 unanswered points over the course of the end of the first quarter and into the second. That made it 49-23, and the rest, as they say, is history. The Rockets cruise to an easy win. Harden actually on the bench in sweats for the majority of that 25-0 run. Probably the only bad thing to come out of there uh, was Rockets forward Luke Mba Amute. Amute injured his left shoulder, crashing to the court after he lost grip of the rim following a slam dunk. This happened just before halftime, and Amute did not return. Rockets head coach Mike D'Antoni guessed that Mba Mute dislocated his shoulder, but uh, no official word yet on the specific injury that he suffered on Wednesday. Mba Mute will have an MRI Thursday morning on his left shoulder. Dwight Howard, in his, I believe, his second return to Houston after leaving the team in 2015. Tied a season high with 26 points, had 18 rebounds, three blocks as the Hornets continued to struggle on the road 
They've now dropped nine of their last ten, dating back to October 30th. Did not catch the very start of the game on Root Sports. Uh, I was wondering if he would be booed, and I'm guessing he did. Not that there's any particular reason. Dwight Howard was great as a Houston Rocket. He was incredible. Averaged a a double-double in his time as a Rocket. Played great for us in the regular season and in the postseason. Probably the only player to do that in the postseason. Uh, James Harden has a tendency to sort of disappear in big games like that. But, you know, sports, that's just what fans do. They boo, all right? And it's hardly ever for a good reason. You go to an Astros game, and uh, the fans boo when the opposing team checks on the runner at first. All right? I mean, that's just just gamesmanship, and we're out here booing them. Whatever. Uh, Those same Astros fans booed Carlos Beltran, the journeyman outfielder, when he would return to Minute Maid Park. And he was one of the more dominant hitters in baseball postseason history. And he did that for the Houston Astros. And you see him get booed. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to. Because in sports, we're all just rooting for laundry. All right? that We're, we're rooting for shirts. We're rooting for colors. All right, when he was wearing our shirt, we loved him. Now he's wearing a different shirt, we hate him, we boo him. So that's just how it goes. But Howard, still an incredible player, and he enforced his will on Clint Capella at times. Capella didn't have a chance. I mean, Howard looks like he outweighs him a good 30, 40 pounds, and that's all muscle. The guy is a fucking specimen. He's superhuman. But uh, you know what? With his dominant performance, it's not enough to win games, and that was the case here in Houston. Just not enough. Howard never really been able to find a good enough team around him to sustain any serious success. Uh, But he's been on a lot of teams, man. When you talk about Hall of Fame down the road and you see how often he's bounced around, you don't see Hall of Famers bounce around like that. But back to the game, the Rockets did make 17 three-pointers and held the Hornets to just four. I think half of those came in garbage time with our C&D squads on the floor. The Rockets will continue their homestand Friday night as they host in-state rivals, the San Antonio Spurs, who are 19-9 and and I believe are third in the Western Conference. The Spurs are coming off a surprising 95-89 loss to the Mavericks in Dallas, the lowly Dallas Mavericks, who are just god-awful. I think are like 9-20, if I'm not 8-20 maybe. Friday will mark Kawhi Leonard's second game of the season after recovering from right quadriceps tendinopathy. Not sure what that is, but uh, it was enough to keep him out for a while. Leonard played 16 minutes in his season debut Tuesday night after sitting out 
all of the preseason and each of the team's 27 previous games. Greg Popovich pulled Leonard in the third quarter after he had scored 13 points on 6 of 12 shooting to go with 6 rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block. With Kawhi Leonard still shaking off the rust, expect a healthy dose of LaMarcus Aldridge in the paint. The Spurs forward has had an unexpected resurgence this season after underwhelming since setting foot in San Antonio. The 32-year-old is back to his old all-star form. He's putting up 22.7 points, almost 8.5 rebounds a game. Uh, Between Aldridge and NBA veteran Pal Gasol, it's going to be another nut-up and grow-up game for Rocket center Clint Capella. You know what? Capella's looked really impressive in flashes during this young season, but against bigger guys like Aldridge and Gasol and Howard, he's going to have to lean on his speed to make an impact. Friday night is blackout night at Toyota Center. If you are going to the game, you are encouraged to wear black, which is interesting because if I'm not mistaken, our opponent that evening, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, that's their color, right? Don't they wear black? So I would guess that Spurs fans will be all decked out in black as well. Uh, Seems odd. It might look like on TV that it's nothing but Spurs fans in the crowd. But I guess if you say, hey, it's blackout, it's blackout, it's blackout enough time on TV, then, uh, you know, people will think, oh, wow, everyone wore black. So I don't know. Poor planning or strategic planning. Uh, Wear your black at Toyota Center because it is blackout. And on that note, I think I'm about to blackout myself, uh, really pushing the limit of this Excedrin PM. Uh, Thanks for stopping by, guys. You're welcome.